I want to invite you to turn with me in God's word to 1 Corinthians. We continue in our um, study of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And we'll be looking today at the end of chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, down through the beginning of chapter 4. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, end of chapter 3, 18, beginning of chapter 4. I think it's printed there in your bulletins, and there are also some, also some Bibles that are located there underneath the seatbacks if you want to follow along there. Paul writes, and God speaks, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. And this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Lord God, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to believe and wills to obey your word, which is truth. Would you sanctify us now? with your truth. And Jesus, would you come and reveal your glory to us in your word that we might be shaped and transformed more and more into that glory and into your image until the day you come. And we pray this in your name. Amen. If we had to pinpoint the main problem that the Apostle Paul has been addressing in these opening chapters of 1 Corinthians, which we have been looking at, I think we could safely label it, as we've heard today, as as pride or boasting. Particularly boasting in human wisdom or achievements or status, either either of our own or that of other people. In this case, as we saw in chapter 1, the people in the church there in Corinth that Paul had founded a number of years 
before were now gathering around and aligning themselves with particular teachers and leaders. Some were saying, I belong to Paul, and others, I belong to Apollos, and others, I belong to Cephas or Peter, and some even holding Christ himself in a, up in a way that, that put them on a pedestal and exalted them as better and wiser or more prominent leaders, and thus, by affiliation, made their followers feel better or wiser or more prominent than others. They were measuring themselves and identifying themselves in relation to certain people and, and by worldly standards rather than seeing themselves, seeing their identity in relation to God and to his grace. And this was causing division. This was causing strife that was rooted in unhealthy comparisons and different competition rooted in human pride. And, and it's something that we still see alive and well in our culture and even in our churches Today, And the point Paul has been making in which he summarizes for us here at the end of chapter 3 is that when we boast in anything other than the Lord, and in particular other than the foolishness of the cross, the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified, then we are actually deceiving ourselves. And the result of this, this deception will be a, a disruption and even a danger to our our own souls into our walk with God and it'll be division and discord in our relationship with others particularly in the church and ultimately it will be dishonoring to God whom we claim to glorify and so the essence of this pride this boasting that Paul is addressing is is kind of finding a sense of self-exaltation finding a sense of self-assurance uh, and self-sufficiency in something or someone rather than God. And the Bible's assessment is that in reality, we're not, we're not doing anything other than fooling ourselves when we live like that. We're just fooling ourselves if we think we can have any grounds for boasting in anything other than God's grace in Christ. So Paul says again here in chapter 3, verse 21, he says, let no one boast in men. Let no one boast in, in human worldly values, standards, or in those who Put them forth. And as we look at this, I think, and we look at what Paul has been teaching over in these early uh, chapters, I think there are really three ways that we typically seek to find our, our identity or to boast in human standards as opposed to our relationship with God. And, and these aren't the only three, but in general, we, we can usually measure ourselves or others in relationship to what we know, that would be wisdom, what we have, whether it's power, or abilities, or possessions, and who we are, what our, what our status, what our position is in relationship to others. I mean, think about it. If I ask you right now to, to just write down on a piece of paper or to think up in your mind, what are, those, what are those things that you are proud of? What are those things that if someone were to ask, you know, what sets you apart from others, you would actually, you would actually hold up in some ways? It would most likely fall into one of these three categories, wouldn't it? You've reached a certain position or, or place in your company. You have a, 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 a wonderful spouse in marriage or your, or your kids have, have grown up and are, are doing well. You've got a nice house or a new car or a healthy savings account. You made straight A's. 
You went to this school or that school. You have this degree. You're leading or serving in some way in the church or actively involved in some particular ministry. You made the varsity team. You're on some board or committee. You won some award. You're a person people generally like. You're someone that people can trust. You know you're you know or you are related to someone famous. I mean, we could just keep going. We could write down countless things that we are proud of, we take pride in. And they're not necessarily bad things. They're not necessarily um, wrong things. They can be very good things. But all of them would most likely fall into one of these three categories of, of something we know or something we do or, or have done, something we have uh, or someone that we are, our, our status. Or maybe you might look at yourself and say, well, I don't really have much to boast about. I'm actually not very smart. I haven't really accomplished much in my life. I don't really have very much. In fact, I'm struggling just to make ends meet. I'm not really much compared to other people. In fact, my life's really not that great. And I'm not sure I'll ever really amount to much to boast about. Maybe that's how you feel. There are a lot of people who feel that way. Maybe you don't suffer from an inflated ego, but sometimes we suffer from a deflated ego. But even then, if you think about it, we're still measuring our significance, finding our identity in relationship to one of those three things. It's, it's in relationship to what we know or we don't know, relationship to what we have or we don't have, relationship to who we are or who we really wish we could be or who we think we aren't and that in some way is still is still bowing to human pride it's still holding our value seeing our ourselves in relationship to to the worldly ways and in relationship to others around us and so the person who lives with a sense of inadequacy or insecurity or inability to measure up is also looking to something other than God in Christ to find security and significance and satisfaction. Just as much as the person who's boasting in the things that they do have or are. God points to these general areas and warns against this kind of thing in Jeremiah 9.23, which is printed on the front of our bulletin. Where he says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, what he knows... Or the strong man boasts in his strength, what he has or what he achieves. Or the rich man boasts in his riches, again, what he has or, or maybe his status. And the key word there and in Corinthians is that word, boast. God is not saying and Paul is not teaching here that it is wrong to pursue knowledge, that it's wrong to pursue wisdom, that it's wrong to, to seek to do something well or to be successful or that it's wrong to, to have possessions or a position in society. The problem comes when we hold on to those things and we hold them up as some measure of our worth, some measure of our significance, some measure of our standing over against and in relationship to others around us and as well in our relationship to God when they become the source of our boasting when our wisdom wealth or works become the sun around which the planet of our lives orbits that's not good and let's be clear we all suffer from this in some way we all do 
And it can happen so easily because it's those very things that the world around us and that, that man by, by nature hold up as things of supreme importance in this life. We're constantly told on all fronts that the key to progress, the key to solution, the key to having your needs met and the problems that we face is simply to know more or to do more or to have more. There's nothing that we we cannot do. There's no problem that we cannot solve if we just bring together enough scholars and experts, that we just have enough seminars and, and summits, if we just invest enough money and resources, if we just put forward enough initiatives to make it happen. The world defines those kind of things like being smart and rich and successful in terms of, of, of degrees and dollars and, and decorated accomplishments. And again, that's not bad in and of itself. Paul says that's not where we can put our hope, where we can put our significance. And we do it in the church too. We boast in the solidness of our theology. We boast in the, in the size of our congregations, in the beauty of our buildings, in the notoriety or the personality of our leaders, the success of our programs, such that there's just constant ongoing sense of, of comparing ourselves rather than fixing our eyes on the one who unites us together in Jesus Christ. I mean, I have to, I have to confess, as a pastor... When I go to another church and have an opportunity, which is not very often, to visit another church or to worship in another church, I walk in there and immediately my sense of comparison turns on. I walk in, I'm like, ooh, this is nice. They got a nice building. You know, we could, we could do that there. Or, you know what, that was a pretty good sermon, but I think I could have preached that one a little bit better. Oh, see, their music, you know, their sound system messes up just like ours. I'm constantly putting myself in a situation of comparing another ministry, another pastor, another church to, to what's, what God's doing here or in me. And, and we all do that, don't we? We do it when we go to work. We do it when we go to school. There's always a sense of how do I measure up or how do I uh, compare to this? Always fighting that temptation to compare and to boast and falling to the wisdom of the world that says we measure God's people and God's work in the church according to the standards of this age. So how do we fight this temptation? How do we, how do we move away from this self-deception that comes from boasting and what we know or what we have or, or who we are? Well, Paul addresses that here. He says, first, if any one of you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he might become wise. Now, again, we saw this kind of fleshed out a little bit more back in chapter 1, where Paul addresses what he calls the the wisdom of the world or human wisdom. And it's it's that kind of thinking, that kind of knowledge, that kind of worldview that seeks to understand things, that seeks to live and operate really apart from God, apart from the revelation of his word and his way in Jesus Christ. And to God, such worldly wisdom is foolishness. And as Paul quotes here from the the book of Job, it actually is a snare. God uses it to entrap us in our craftiness to those who rely upon it. When When we divorce our understanding of the world and our view of ourselves and those around us from the truth and from the wisdom of God who has created all things and God who has has given us his will and his word 
and his commands. When we think we can figure things out and handle matters in and of ourselves, we're actually being foolish and we often end up caught in our own trap. <laughs> we become confused, we become uh, constrained or, 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 or trapped in wisdom and thinking of our own making. And Paul says, if you think you've got life figured out without Jesus, you better think again. You better think again. The wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. And those who live by such wisdom, he says, are headed down a dead-end street. That kind of thinking, that kind of wisdom is, is ultimately futile. Instead, if you really want to be wise, wise in God's eyes and according to God's wisdom, Paul says you have to become a fool in the world's eyes. You have to believe things. You have to live in such a way that the world sees as foolish. In order to be wise, you have to actually admit things like, I'm a very proud sinner. And I have no hope except for the death and resurrection of a first century Jewish carpenter who is actually the Son of God and the Lord of the universe. You have to be willing to live in such a way that, that finds meaning and purpose and even joy in things like sacrifice or pain or suffering. You have to have a mindset that says serving is better than being served. <laughs> that giving, it's actually better to give away than to, to receive that the least are actually the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That our enemies are people to be loved. That strangers are those to be welcomed and embraced. That sins are, are to be forgiven over and over and over and over. That to die to self is the way to truly live. These are all wisdom from God. But they're all things that the world likes at and says... That's crazy. That's foolish. But God says, that's the way to be wise. That's my way. There's an old Arabic proverb that says, he who knows not and knows not that he knows not is a fool. But he who knows not and knows that he knows not is wise. And true wisdom begins with the humility to admit that we're really not that wise. <laughs> and to submit ourselves to the wisdom of God that's revealed in Christ and recorded in his word. God's proverb puts it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom starts with God and with submitting ourselves to him. And when we submit ourselves to, to God's wisdom and to Christ, then our pursuit of knowledge in the world, which is not a bad thing, again, is, is enlightened in such a way as to become true wisdom. Those who pursue truth in relationship to the one who is truth, whether it's in, our, in the sciences, whether it's in the arts, whether it's in government, whether it's in business, whether it's in education, whether it's in the way we live our lives, in our families, those are the ones who are truly wise. Submitting all those things to God's word and to his way in Christ. So the key to avoiding self-deception, the self-deception of trusting in what you know is to become a fool, <laughs> a fool for Christ, to humbly submit your life and your knowledge to, to God's truth, which in the world, world's eyes may seem foolish, but on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, 
not just hearing his word, building on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, not just hearing his word, but, being, but living it out and doing it. Paul then gives a second reason not to deceive ourselves by boasting. And this one addresses the tendency to boast in, in what we do or what we have, the you know, whether it's power or possessions. His first reason addresses boasting in what we know. And he says, don't do that because the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And now in verse 21, he says, don't boast in what you have or you don't have. Don't boast in men because, he says, all things are yours in Christ. And then he uses the example that was happening in the church. Don't say, I belong to Paul. Paul actually belongs to you. <laughs> Don't say, I belong to Apollos. Apollos actually belongs to you. These, these men were given as gifts to the church for your good. And so... Paul is, is, is approaching this from a little bit different angle here. Now he's addressing that, that boasting that comes from a sense of insecurity, that sense of needing to have or to hold on to something or someone in such a way that says, I have something that you don't. <laughs> I have something that you don't. Those in the church at Corinth were saying, we were taught by this teacher or we, we followed this leader and therefore we have something that you all over here don't. But such boasting in the church might also come in the form of saying, well, we're, we're part of this ministry, and it's more important than that ministry over there. Or we like this kind of music because it's more glorifying to God than this kind of music over here. Or we have this size congregation, and therefore we're a better church. Or our pastor went to this seminary, has written this many books, and we could just go on. We can all... Uh, come up with those things or even in our own personal lives we may subtly boast in what we have whether it's possessions or money or or good health or smart kids or a job or again there may be a sense of insecurity in not having certain things such that we may see our lack as somehow making us less important in the world or maybe even uh, less favorable in God's eyes that God is somehow punishing us or doing something against us because we don't have these certain things. <clears throat> maybe you're out of work or maybe you're struggling financially. Maybe you're suffering from some debilitating illness or condition that makes life a constant struggle. Maybe your circumstances are really hard right now in relationships that you have going on. Maybe you're wrestling with some besetting sin and you, you look at other, others around you and you think... I'll never have that, or I'll never be like them, or I'll never be able to do this. But Paul remedies that by reminding us that in Christ, all things are ours. When God redeems us from sin through the death of his son on the cross, we become his children. We are, as Paul says in Ephesians, we are made fellow heirs of all things with Jesus Christ. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing through him. Over in Romans 8, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with Christ, graciously give us all things? All things. Not just some things, all things. Paul says, Why boast in what you have or what you don't have when in Christ... 
There's nothing that you don't have. (laughs) Don't you realize that in Christ all things are yours, he says, because you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. And God has all things. These are all Paul and Apollos and Peter, the things that God does in our lives. They're all gifts from God to his church and for his blessing and the good of his people. And he goes on, he expands that. He says, in fact, everything, whether the world or life or death or the present or the future are yours. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you can just walk over and drive off in your neighbor's new car. (laughs) This is mine, actually, in Christ, you know. I've been given all things, so I'm going to take this for a spin. Doesn't mean you can just walk into the store and take what you want off of the shelf. That's not what he's saying here. Point Paul is making is, is why boast in things or people or programs or possessions in Christ? Because God right now is using all things. He's working all things for you. God works all things for the good. <laughs> of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God promises that he will meet every need you have, that he will accomplish every purpose he has for you according to his great promise and power in Christ Jesus. In other words, you don't have to say, my pastor is better than your pastor because God has given both pastors to his church for the purpose of encouraging and building up the body. You don't have to say, I'm more gifted than you or than this person because God has given all people gifts for the building up and strengthening of his body. And Paul, will see later on, we'll talk about how even the smallest and the most insignificant of those is actually the most honorable and sometimes the most important of those. You don't have to mourn the fact that you didn't have a Christian upbringing or that you were raised in a broken, dysfunctional family because in Christ you have been brought into a family That is built upon God's acceptance and grace and love. Why boast in the treasures of earth or the things of this earth when God has riches beyond imagination for those who seek first his kingdom? That's what Paul is saying. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have struggles. That doesn't mean that it's hard in this life. That doesn't mean that that there are things we actually do lack and we we struggle with with, um, living in, in in those hard things and those difficult circumstances. But Paul is saying even those things, even those things, they're not making God love you any less. In fact, God's using them because he actually loves you even more, and he'll use them for your good. And nothing can separate you from God's love in Christ. Whether life or death or things past or things present or things future, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul's reminding us that in Christ, God is for us. He is our heavenly father. We are heirs of his kingdom. We don't need to fear for our lack of anything. We don't need to hold on and put security in our, in our 401ks or in our, uh, what people think of us or, or those things that we want, to, we want to grasp on and say, this makes me significant because God is for us. He loves us. He cares for us and he will provide for us. He works all things in this world for our good. 
And Paul says he's for you now. He's for you forever in life and in death. And therefore, don't boast in men. (laughs) Don't boast in the things you have. Christ has you. And lastly, Paul addresses the issue of boasting in what we are and, and kind of our, uh, who we are. And here he turns the lens on his own ministry and that of the apostles as well, beginning of chapter 4. He reminds the believers there of how they should regard him and other leaders that God has given them. He says, we are servants of Christ and stewards of the things of God. In other words, Paul and Apollos and Peter and and others who will come and and continue in the work of the Lord in building his church, they're not to be set up on a pedestal. (laughs) They're not to be seen as rivals to to be rallied around and pitted against, but rather they are to be seen as those who are there in one capacity, servants of Christ Jesus. And notice who they serve. Not the church, although they do serve the church, But their master is Jesus Christ. Our master is Jesus Christ. And because he served us, he calls us to serve and gives us, equips us to serve. The word used here is that used of a galley slave in a ship. The the under rowers, those who are the farthest down at the bottom of the the ship, who 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 are pulling and supporting those above and also under the command of their captain. And Paul and Apollos and after them other leaders and pastors and elders whom God raises up for his church are specifically called and given to the church by Christ to serve. But our allegiance, our duty is to Christ and it's to God. And he says we are stewards of the mysteries of God, those things which God has revealed in Christ and his word. He has entrusted to, to pastors and to teachers and to leaders in his church to, to steward, to oversee, to manage and distribute for the good of the household. But always under the authority, always under the direction and always under the, the commandment and the guidance of the master. And that's why it's my responsibility here. And the responsibility of pastors and other churches and that of elders and, and, and leaders over Christ's church to not be about our agenda. To not be about your agenda. But to be about God's agenda. Our job is not to champion a, a political cause or proclaim a personal opinion or to pander to the desires of one particular group over another. It's not to bend to the will of the, of the powerful and influential or be pressured by the, the needs of, the, of the, uh, the, the poor, the weak, but to proclaim Christ and to serve his people by stewarding his truth and his grace for the good of his church and the growth of his kingdom. That's the first thing we do. And then that informs and and impacts how we minister in those other areas. And that's why Paul says, it doesn't matter what you think or anyone else thinks of me. In fact, he says, it doesn't even matter what I think of myself. I love this. I don't have too high an opinion of what you think, and I really don't have too high an opinion of what I think. Because both of those are subject to error. We are who we are and we do what we do, not because of the judgment or the praise of men or even because of our own evaluation of ourselves, but because of the calling and the glory of God. 
Paul says, I'm not here to win your approval. I'm not here to gain your praise. My purpose is not to to win friends and to make myself look or feel good. I'm here by God's grace. Entrusted with the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And, And Paul's sole purpose of his existence and the measure of his success, he says, is to be found faithful to what God has called him to regardless of what other people think. And so he says, I'm not concerned with your judgment. I'm not concerned even with my own judgment. Even though my conscience is clear, Paul says, I can't think of anything that might, might bring reproach or, 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 uh, or denigrate my ministry. Even that doesn't equip me because I'm sure there are some things that actually God could point to. But he says, I do what I do in service of the Lord and he will be my judge. And so friends, not just for me as a pastor, not just for leaders in the church, but whatever you do in your job, whatever you do in your home or in your work for the church, it doesn't matter what title you have, it doesn't matter your position, what connections there are, there's one standard God calls us to have and one goal for which we should strive for. And that's to do what we do for God's glory and for his praise and that we be found faithful. We be found faithful. If we live for the praise of men or if we take pride in our own achievements for how they make us look or what they say about us, then we are building on shaky ground. Because God is the one who ultimately will bring judgment. We saw that last week. He's the one who ultimately will will judge our motives and and the, the purposes of our heart and the works of our hands. And our job, whether as ministers in the church or as workers in the world, is to be servants of Christ and to be faithful, faithful, to live and work for the glory of God. And that also means we have to be careful how we judge others, doesn't it? The writer to Hebrews reminds us, as we read earlier, to remember and obey the leaders whom God has given to his church, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account And that account is ultimately to God. Are pastors and elders sinners? Yes, we are. And we have need of the cross of Christ just as much as any. But we are called to steward the gospel and the truth of God in such a way that leads us and leads you and leads God's church not to boast in us or in any others, but to look to and live for Christ. And our job is to be faithful. To be willing to serve, to even suffer for Christ. To leave the results and the rewards to God who will reveal all things and reward all things according to his truth. Isn't that freeing? <laughs> Isn't it freeing to know that, that we, we stand under one verdict? It's not the verdict of what people think about us. It's not the verdict of what we think of ourselves. It's the verdict of God. And you know what the verdict of God is? <laughs> You're his child. He loves you. He has accepted you because of his son, Jesus Christ. And the work we do, while yes, we need to be faithful, and yes, it will uh, come under God's scrutiny and judgment in the end. In the end, the verdict has already been passed. And so we we can labor, we can be faithful, we can serve God in confidence that nothing again can separate us from his love. We are Christ's. 
and he is God's and God is for us. Paul ends by saying, I've applied these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit so that you may not go beyond what is written. In other words, we may stay true to God's word and his wisdom and not be puffed up in favor of one another by the, by the things and the measurements of this world. For again, he says, all that you have to boast in is a gift from God. And so give him glory. So brothers and sisters, let's not deceive ourselves. Let's not boast in what we know. Let's not boast in what we have. Let's not boast in in what we can do or who we are in the eyes of the world. Let us not look to the wisdom of this age, the things of this world, or the praise and applause of others, or even our own opinion of ourselves for significance, security, or hope in life. In the end, those are just foolish. Rather, let us boast in the Lord and in Christ Jesus. Let us become fools for him by looking to and living according to the wisdom of God's word and ways. And let us rest and find security in the reality that we lack nothing in Christ. And that God is working all things in this world, both now and forever in the future, for our good. And therefore, we can do all that we do for his glory seeing ourselves as servants, called to be faithful to his truth, living for his praise, and leaving judgment ultimately to him. Let's pray together. Father, our desire is to boast in you. And we confess, I know I do and each one of us, that there are places in our lives right now where we have cause for and are given to boasting in the things of this world. Lord, may we lay those things down. May we boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ, in the wisdom of your word, in the power of your resurrection, in the position that we have as children and heirs of all things. And may that humble us in this world to serve others, and to minister to them that they too might come to know you and to boast in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.